and welcome to another episode of Every Coach Needs a Coach, the podcast for coaches of all levels and all sports to learn from coaches who they may otherwise never have the chance to meet. I am your host, Coach Kelly, and I'm honored to be joined by our guest today, who is entering his 11th season as the head coach of women's basketball at Catholic University down in Washington, D.C. In those past 11 years, he's led his teams to three conference championships, an ECAC championship, and has had three 20 or more win seasons. He currently stands as the winningest coach in program history at 189 wins. Uh, prior to his time at Catholic, he spent time at Elmira College in New York and Bloomfield College. Uh, and he has a stint of coaching uh, cross country and soccer and hoops uh, at the high school level. So uh, coach has, has coached many players of high caliber, including those who have earned All-American postseason accolades. He's taken his team to Ireland and Puerto Rico and Colorado, among other places. He has been a resource and a friend to me since I graduated in 2013, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with him and have him on the show. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Coach Matt Donahue. How we doing? Thanks for having me on here. Thank you so much for being here, Coach. You're far too kind with those uh, accolades. I had to stop <laughs> and think about who you were actually talking about there for a moment. I, 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 uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't do you enough justice there, Coach. Um, so, Coach, thank, thank you so much for being here. I'd like to start it um, with a very simple question of why do you coach? Oh, gosh. Uh, it's a loaded <laughs> question, right? But you probably should be able to answer that if you're, you're doing what we're doing. Yep. Um, you know, it's, it's learned at a, a young age that I not only love uh, the sport of basketball and wanted it to be a major part of my life, but more importantly, uh, love the opportunity to work with uh, the kids that I get to work with through the years, uh, meet all the people that I get to meet from all different walks of life, all different areas of the country, and the opportunity to hopefully teach them a little something about basketball and life uh, is is just fantastic for me and keeps me young, theoretically, uh, the, especially I, I realize the importance of that the more I, I do this, but um, I just have really enjoyed the opportunity to be with all the young people that I've been with through the years and, and just kind of teach them the game a little bit. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I laugh, it keeps you young because I'm sure – I noticed this too. Uh, it, it turns our hair gray sometimes yeah. faster. <laughs> You'll pull it out if you don't pull it out first, right? Yeah, but yeah. So, um, it's, it's that notion becomes even more important for me the more I do this because, you know, over the last couple of years, I've started to really come to the realization that I'm getting much closer uh, to the age of the parents of the kids that I recruit uh, than yeah. I am. And I'm, I'm further removed from the age of the kids that I'm, I'm coaching. And you know, it's you learn to relate them in different ways and talk with them in different ways. But uh, yeah, if you don't pull out your hair first, it'll turn gray. And, and you know, uh, the bottom line is uh, it's there's far more good coming from it than there is negative. Definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, I think that's really cool that, that uh, the connections that you make and, and the relationships you develop are, uh, are the reason that you do it. Because um, as I'm going to this, that's that's really what it's all about. Um, which is awesome. So tell me, so as a division three right now, basketball coach, what are, what are like the greatest challenges that you're facing? Well, I mean, you always have hurdles. Um, I mean, in division three, um, you know, we're at a place where we're fortunate enough to get a lot of young women that have 
those quote unquote higher opportunities. So they have an option to potentially play division two, or maybe even play some division one basketball in some instances. Mm -hmm. And they end up choosing a place like Catholic university for the opportunities that it offers. Uh, you know, the, the opportunity to be involved in things that eventually are going to make, be part of a career for them, an opportunity to engage culturally, socially, et cetera. And so through the recruiting process, you know, you spend time talking about balance and those opportunities that they're going to have. Um, when they get to, you know, your university, they're going to want to take advantage of those opportunities. And so uh, you have to really understand that there's so much going on around them that you've got to be supportive to, you know, hopefully help be part of a world where, you know, balance is possible, where they can do a lot of different things. And, you know, that might mean that a student misses some workouts here and there at a certain point in time in your year because they want to go to a retreat. Or it might mean that you've got to, you know, practice at a certain time of day because of a major that they're engaged in. You know, if they're an engineering major or a lab science major of some sort, um, the class schedules can be pretty erratic. So as such, at our level, you're going to practice sometimes at eight o'clock at night or perhaps six o'clock in the morning. And so, you know, you, you've got to really be, you know, in tune to what they're doing and what's important to them. And so um, you, you can come to a place like Catholic and study, you know, biomedical engineering and graduate in four years and have a tremendous basketball experience. And in doing so, your class schedule is going to be pretty rigorous and all over the map at some points. And so, uh, whereas at a Division One or Division Two, you might find yourself in a scenario where you've got that block scheduling, so to speak, where you're always practicing at two in the afternoon, and um, and as such, uh, you've got to take the courses that are offered. So maybe your degree path takes you five or six years for the undergrad experience. Um, so I would say really the greatest hurdle for us is that, that class schedule and all the opportunities around them that they want to engage in to, to maintain that balance in life. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I remember that when I was there, we'd practice exactly like you said, sometimes nine o'clock at night. It's like, all right, we, we have to do this. Not, not every, not every week, but on occasion. Well, and yeah, and you're going to have to do that. And then you have to realize that when they're there at nine o'clock at night, they've probably just had a pretty full day of classes and schoolwork and things of that sort. So they may not always be all there mentally. They might be physically in your gym, but, but mentally they may be somewhere else. And you have to understand that, you know, kids practice great. They, they have tough days practicing and there's always a reason for both. And sometimes it's real easy to yell as a coach <laughs> and, and to get frustrated as a coach. It's a much you know, more challenging thing to stay calm and, and try to figure out the why behind the performance on a specific day. And so, you know, the, the, there's always a domino effect. So when they have those class schedules and we deal with those challenges in those class schedules and we're practicing at eight or nine o'clock at night, um, well, the domino effect of that is there may be an impact to their performance on a given day. There, there are 18 to 22 year old kids at the end of the day. And yep. so there's great many reasons why they compete the way they do. I love that um how how do you what strategies have you put into place to figure out that why why um, on a certain day yeah i mean it's the first thing i do is tell my assistants to make sure that i stay calm <laughs> uh, which is a tough job for them um, <laughs> they're, they're going to be that first line of defense and and they're going to know what our athletes are dealing with uh, well before i am in some instances and so you know, I, I, I talk with them quite a bit, uh, you know, as, as we're working as a staff, uh, that when they see me get to that moment of frustration, 
Um, they've got to pull me back and say, all right, coach, let's slow down a little bit here and, uh, and, and, you know, potentially have that dialogue with me in practice when we need a break in practice where we need to stop what we're doing uh, and, and, and just talk as a group. Um, before we even come into practice, yeah. uh, they're great at letting me know, hey, someone, you know, uh, Sally just had a full day of three exams. She just took her nursing clinicals and practicals and she's exhausted mentally. Uh, may not be all here today. So keep that in mind before you go nuts because she sails a pass out of bounds. Yeah. Uh, so that's important for them to be able to have that dialogue with me. It's also important for me to be able to check in with my athletes routinely yeah. just to see how they're doing to talk with them about other aspects of their lives outside of basketball, be it their degree, be it an internship, be it something happening uh, that could be exciting or even challenging for them or both in some instances. So yeah. uh, if I'm just that guy, you know, teaching a fast break, break drill or a secondary offense or a defensive scheme, um, then they're not getting as much out of the experience. That's interesting. You use the phrase that, that guy, right? <laughs> it's like, and, and you can pull anybody off the street and teach that, but to be their coach, it takes on those, those meanings that you just talked about, right? You know them as people first, and then basketball players a second. Well, and that's, that's what I try to remind myself of, is they're not robots. And, mm -hmm. and if it were just about coaching X's and O's and, and the, the game of basketball, it wouldn't be as much fun, number one. Yeah. Uh, and, and number two, uh, you, you know, it wouldn't be as fulfilling. And, and Probably would be a little easier, quite frankly, in some yeah. instances. But <laughs> you know, it's it's you spend at least half that time probably as a part-time say a sports psychiatrist, if you will, and yep. sometimes your your dad, uh, not yeah. the big brother anymore. I'm more dad now, and yeah, right. One day, my right. Yep. <laughs> so, oh, but it's it's it, it makes it more enjoyable for everybody involved when you know you kind of embrace all those roles that you need to fill um, and there's a lot to be said for being part of that growth process. When you watch a kid come in from point A as an 18 year old freshman and grow academically, socially, uh, athletically by the time they get to their senior year. And so, um, you know, that to me is really the, the biggest challenging is, is, is helping them get to that point. So. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I'm going to dive a little further into one of the things you said of like, all right, Sally sails a pass out of bounds. Right. And I, I deal with this as a high school coach, right. For, I would like to think maybe more frequently than, than you do, um, <laughs> but it, it certainly helps to know what she's been through that day at such a high level of play. How do you correct those, those mistakes of, all right, I know you're mentally fatigued. How do you, how do you fix those? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that the first thing is that understanding that they don't, no one's trying to make a mistake out there. No one is purposely throwing the ball out of bounds. It's very mm -hmm. easy to yell at a kid. What are you thinking? What are you doing? They may, the honest answer that they're going to give you is I, I don't know. <laughs> and so um, what we started doing more uh, is really kind of diving into the sports psychology of things uh, in terms of just stopping instantaneously and asking them, what were you thinking there? What, what did you see there? What were you trying to do there? Uh, and, and just let, letting them talk. And, and, you know, the answer still may be, you know, I don't know. I, I know that person was ahead um, and I just was trying to get the ball there as quickly as possible. So, and that may lead to a conversation about, you know, let's be quick without hurrying or rushing, um, you know, and, and so we've started to kind of do some different things. 
uh, where you can dive into their psychology at that point in time. And it might be something as simple as we're doing a full team drill and the whole team is in the middle uh, of a drill and the whole team's a little sloppy at that point. And yep. So one thing you can do with them is just have the whole team stop and almost have them kind of journal real quick. Hey, take this notebook, write down exactly what you're thinking and feeling right now. Uh, okay. And take 30 seconds to do that. Don't put your name on it. Um, just tell me what you're thinking and feeling right now and, uh, and get it out, vent a little bit on paper. Um, and, yeah. and that might be, um, could you, you know, you get any one of a million different answers in that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it's an exercise that'll help them. It'll, it's an exercise that can help them get things out. Um, you can, in that moment, if, if you don't have that, you know, those team journals that we'll use from time to time, if you don't have them present, you can just stop the whole team, circle them up and ask them, Hey, what, what were you thinking there? What were you feeling there in that moment? Let them just kind of talk in front of their team. Hopefully you've worked to create that environment where they're comfortable having that conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's the follow-up afterwards at the end of practice, just kind of, we, we start doing some things in our, our, our kind of inner circle, if you will, at the end of practice. You know, what did you learn today? What did you do great today? You know, and we'll go around and ask people to kind of step up and say, hey, this is what I, I did great today. How did you help someone else be great today? What did you learn today? Uh, you can do those things at the start of practice. What are you hoping to get out of today's practice? What are you hoping to learn today? Yeah. Um, what are What is your goal for practice today? Uh, so, you know, just having that dialogue can help them refocus and focus in on things a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, but we find ourselves, I think, with just the different generation of kids coming up, um, understanding you got to spend more time. There's so much around them. They're so easily distracted. Um, the the outlet with social media, uh, you know, Twitter and Instagram and Snapchats and all that great stuff is all around them. So you usually get them in practice distracted in a million different directions. Um, yep. So we've got to spend time kind of focusing them in. Yeah. So those things you <laughs> I love that. Um, I love the journal idea. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, it's, a, it's a little newer one. This English teacher, the former English teacher. Yeah, there he is. Out here. <laughs> uh, and and, we, and there was a time where we'd have them kind of, you know, write their name on it and, and this and that. Um, it, they're maybe not as honest if they write their name. Uh, yet yeah. if they have a little anonymity to what they're feeling in the moment, the greater point of it is allow them to just think for a second and get it out of the system or at least be able to say it or, or write it down. Yeah. Um, very therapeutic just doing that. And, and everybody's got two minutes in practice. If you're on the court for two hours, you can take two minutes to, to find, to, to stop what you're doing and hopefully kind of refocus them. Yeah. Do you then take those, you have like, they each get a piece of paper. Do you take them and read them? Well, it's like, it's, if you picture that, that old kind of 1940s reporter, right? For the old, for, if you remember newspapers, uh, where it's like kind of spiral bound. Yeah, no yeah, yeah. So we just keep like 10 of them. And, and so they can share one and, you know, they, you can have three people writing a piece of paper in there and then we'll take them as a staff afterwards and we'll read them and talk about them. So, you know, mm -hmm. this is how Mary was feeling in, in practice today, or somebody was feeling like this in practice right. today because they, they didn't put their name on it. Right. So what do you do differently to avoid that, that pitfall or that, le that level of frustration? What can we do in that moment 
um, to help them be more comfortable. Uh, maybe that maybe she sailed that pass out of bounds or someone's head because she was actually afraid to make that pass. She was afraid to make that mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, maybe they wrote down in that journal, I just knew I really had to get that pass there or that play was going to break down. So they're thinking and reacting out of a moment of fear rather than saying, All right, boom, there's that, that my, my teammate ahead, I'm going to hit her, you know, and right. there's a fine line between confidence and fear in that and the, oh my God, I have to do this and hey, I'm mm-hmm. going to do this. Mm-hmm. So you can learn a lot by what's going on in their minds. The who's saying it sometimes isn't as important as what is being said. And you'll yeah. see a lot of sharing the same thoughts and ideas. That's, uh, I love that. I love that. Um, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. No, knowing our players as people uh, helps us develop the, the kind of culture that that eventually wins games, right? But I, I also love what you said there about fostering an environment where they feel comfortable talking to their team. Um, Cause I, I think that's like, that's like the safest place that you should be able to, to speak. Right. And then be honest in that. Right. And, and yeah. when you have that, what I found is kind of doing those little exercises, that team journal, if you will, we call it by doing that, it promotes another conversation. So if I know five young women in my program are feeling a certain way, I can pull in our team leaders and talk to them and say, hey, I'm kind of noticing there's some some you know thoughts going through the team and there's some concern and you know there seems to be a group of them that are a little overwhelmed. What do you guys need from me? How can we combat that? Um, what can we do to kind of lighten the atmosphere? You know, what do we need in practice or outside of practice? And uh, you know, and so that promotes a conversation where you know, then you can dive into things further. Now, you also have to be willing to listen to those leaders when you have that follow-up conversation, or you yeah. have to be willing to listen to your team when you have that follow-up conversation, and, and not listen to respond, but listen just to kind of hear what they're, what they think they see happening. Uh, yeah. um, for sure, that's, that's huge, and I think have the humility to, to say, okay, right, or, or, respect respect their opinion right and go okay this is that this is our team uh you know you might have an idea as a coach of what you think is best and then you hear something from them and you're like oh, all right let's consider that and and work together uh to kind of build a framework where everybody's everybody's happy and we move forward together well yeah and you're absolutely right and and that can be the challenging thing um that you know, you're as a head coach and, and as an assistant coach, you know, you've gotten to a certain point where you're doing something you really enjoy because you have a certain level of confidence. And that's great, but sometimes confidence can lead to a little bit of arrogance. Mm-hmm. And if you get to that point, then you're not listening. Uh, so that having that, maintaining that humility and, and reminding yourself, right, I've got to be willing to listen to what they they, they need and what they're telling me here. Otherwise, we're not going to get the results we want. Um, we're kind of all in it together. Um, you know, I remember once upon a time, I, you went and did a clinic, uh, if you remember, uh, I think it was at the University of Maryland, mm-hmm. um, a, a group of our girls from the team when you were applying, um, went uh, and did this coach's clinic and this and that. And we were talking about certain ways to defend ball screens and things of that sort afterwards. And a couple of you said, coach, we got a few things to teach you. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we laughed and joked about that. But the reality is you were in a setting with other great coaches 
where they they opened your eyes up to something else and um you know it's you're in that moment where you could shoot that down and say no this is the way we're going to do a b and c where you can say all right well what do you got <laughs> and you can yeah. listen and kind of see what they're bringing back to you and and that goes for an actual x's and o's coaching kind of a thing from time to time but it really goes towards um the atmosphere and and you know kind of mental state of the team and, and the players and where they are so Absolutely. they might some sort of segment of practice where they're bonding and laughing and having fun together on a particular day. And there's other days where they might need to feel like they really need to zero in. Um, they'll tell you if you listen. Yeah. I love that. I love it. Um, so speaking a little bit on humility, this is turning into one of my favorite questions. Uh, is there anything else you feel like you do better than anybody else in the coaching field? Oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I if I do, I don't know if I do things better than anyone else. But I but I take great pride in certain things that that we do as a staff. Um, I never like to reference the I. I, I think it's important to reference the we. Um, so I think we as a staff do a, a really great job at um, mixing in those building activities outside of the basketball court. So, you know, we've got to be a team that trusts each other. We've got to have great chemistry. We've had uh, teams that have been really good teams, but perhaps not the best team in our conference, yet we found a way to win a championship or at least put ourselves in position to win a championship largely in part to our trust and chemistry as a team. So mm -hmm. like anything else, if, if you want to have a great jump shot, you work on that. You've got to develop that. If you want to be a team that has great chemistry, you've got to work on that as well. So I think we do as a staff a great job of spending time with our athletes off the court, uh, of getting to know them as people, and then of bringing in activities and exercises within our practice framework that lend themselves towards building chemistry and, and a greater sense of teamwork, that lend themselves towards building trust. Uh, I, I like what we do and how we do it, um, and, and I think it's helped our team a lot through the years. Um, you know, from a pure basketball side of things, uh, I've always been a conditioning and defensive uh, thinker. And, and so as a team, um, <clears throat> everything we do is predicated upon our, our level of conditioning and our ability to defend. And so, you know, we focus in on developing those skills first and foremost mm -hmm. um, with our programs. So um, those are things I, I like how we do it. And I think we all take great pride in what we do. That's awesome. That's a great answer. <laughs> That's a, no, it's a great answer. I love it. Um, can you give me one example, one specific example of something you do during practice that's not basketball related that helps to build trust? Sure. Um, so we were doing an exercise. Uh, and I'm, I don't know if, uh, if I did this back uh, when you played, but, uh, but we did an exercise where we were talking about trust and communication. Um, so we paired our girls up uh, as partners. Uh, it took us 10, 15 minutes to do this. And uh, what we did is so, you know, um, Mary and Susie were together as partners. Uh, Susie was blindfolded with a basketball in her hands and Mary had to get her from one end of the court to the other to shoot a layup without physically touching her. So Mary had to trust Susie and Susie had to be able to communicate and trust that Mary could follow those instructions and 
had to kind of lead her up the court to get her to a basket and with a blindfold on she had to shoot and make a layup it was just awesome. a simple little exercise i've done a couple times through the years yep. really teaches the importance of why you have to communicate on the courts yep. uh and that person who's got that blindfold on has got to be she's got to show a lot of trust in her teammate who is communicating with her um, because what you don't want is uh, Mary to shoot a layup and have the ball bounce off the rim and hit her right in the face because she can't see it. <laughs> so there's got to be a certain level of trust there right. as you're going through that process and, and, and a definitive level of communication. So simple exercise that we've done a couple times through the years. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Um, Beyond, is the blindfolded player dribbling? What's that? Is the blindfolded player dribble? Oh, yeah, you can't just walk with the ball. I love it. <laughs> basketball. You got to dribble that thing down the court. Okay, so good. You're, you know, so, so you're being led down the court without your partner touching you in any capacity or touching the ball in any capacity. So if you dribble that ball off your foot, now she's got to talk you over to the score <laughs> to have you retrieve said basketball. So That's awesome. Does the whole team go at once? uh we've kept it to small groups okay. uh so you know if we're in our main gym doing it and we've got you know six hoops down in the main gym at that point in time you know we'll assign different groups to to some of those hoops um you know but there's times where we've had you know we've made it a race as well added a little level of competition into like that, it because yeah. everyone and so now we've got five groups of people trying to get baseline to baseline on the main hoop and then get back and, you know, and they'll switch. So if, yeah. if I'm leading you down the other end, once you make your layup, you're going to give me the blindfold and the ball and you're going to lead me back the other way. And yeah. so we'll make it a little bit of a race and a competition with, in, in, in that scheme of things. And that makes things a lot more enjoyable because now when you're rushing to do something, there's a little more, uh, you know, chance that something's going to go wrong in that process. So now how do you fix that in the moment? Um, so there's a lot of different layers to it. They have fun with it. They get a lot of humor out of it as well. Yeah. In period. Um, and so, and I just think it also shows that there's, it's okay to have that little levity from time to time in practice. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, yeah, you got to dribble that thing. You're not carrying that. We're not, it's not football. We're, <laughs> we're not carrying that thing down the court. I love it. I'm just imagining, I'm trying to, to replicate, you know, the, the sounds that are happening in a gym and, and what would maybe interfere with that level of communication. And like <laughs> you, you listen, not, not just to react, but to hear, all right, the instructions and then follow them. And uh, I love that. That's great. Um, awesome. All right. So maybe I know your answer to this. Maybe I don't. Does a particular game stand out to you as a, as a personal growing point or like a high or a low for you? And what did you learn from it? Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, I could probably, I could probably pick three, four or five games um, through my career, maybe even more <clears throat> that have been huge learning points, but uh, there was a game in, gosh, it would probably have been 2012. It was February of 2012, if I'm recalling correctly, at Juniata College. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> we were playing Juniata. Um, I think we had gotten to a point where physically we were better than, as, than them as a team. They were the defending conference champions. Uh, and so at that point in time, we might have been a little bit better physically, but they were better mentally. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we were playing them on their court. Um, it was a huge game uh, with regard to the overall uh, hierarchy of the conference. Mm -hmm. We were fighting for playoff seed at that point, and we were still in the mix for the regular season conference title. So we were playing the game. We're winning the entire game by double digits. 
we get to about the last three minutes of the game and um, you know, they just start going on this run and, and our wheels start spinning and you can see us mentally start to break down. Uh, and, uh, and long story short, we coughed up the game and in, in the last minute of the game, um, they hit a shot to go up uh, to take a lead and we had a chance to take a shot to grab the lead back and perhaps win the game. <clears throat> Didn't go that way for us. We ended up losing that game. And again, we couldn't get over the hump against the reigning conference champion and, and the best uh, team in our conference. So, you know, that's one in particular. Now, we didn't lose again that year until we got to the national tournament after that game. And yeah. so that to me was a huge game for our team because how we reacted as a staff and how we handled that moment, I think, ultimately defined that season for us. And so I think the team was expecting me to come into the locker room yelling and screaming and going nuts and then walk into practice and kind of be a bit of a bear. Uh, and we didn't do that. Um, we, you know, we showed up in practice the next time we were on the court and we just kind of talked about what we we're going to take away from that experience. And we just said definitively without any uh, discussion, um, we were going to see them again. We knew we were going to see them again. Now to do so, that meant I was telling my team we're going to the conference championship game. And so we definitively said as a team, we are going to see them again and we're going to handle that moment better next time. We're going to know how to win that moment. Yeah. And sure enough, we got to the conference championship game that year on their court and the game played out identical until it got to the last two minutes. And instead of kind of breaking down in that moment, we were able to kind of stay together mentally. We talked about that moment. We talked in huddles in the midst of that game about that moment. We knew it was coming and we ended up closing out the game and winning by 10 and winning the program's first conference championship. So I firmly believe to this day that we don't win that game and that championship if yeah. we don't lose to Juniata on their court in the regular season. So yeah. that to me is a big one that I'll never forget. Yeah. Uh, is that the one you were thinking? <laughs> well, I, it, was, it was either of those two. I was, I was thinking the conference championship, but you're right. You can't get that conference championship without that, what, three, three weeks ago Juniata game? Right. And I, I remember feeling the same sentiment as a player of like, we like we we can beat them, we out we could beat them, and it was so important for us to see that, and I think not beat them, so that we could when it when it mattered more, arguably, uh, go in and and win that. Um, and I Absolutely. think the us, like we, I I think you know I'm not thinking about it until now, but you telling us, all right, when we see them again, we're gonna be ready. That meant we had to beat Scranton on the road, right? And the, the, up to that point, a team had never won a, a playoff game on the road before, so we had to go play Scranton on the road and get into the finals, and then we had to go play Juniata on the road and beat them in the finals. So, it, like, I agree with you. Without that game, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we had the same success we had, but it, it probably looked a little different. Without a doubt, without a doubt. No, I agree 100%. And that was, that was a big thing. And I think, you know, every, every program is faced with those moments in their season that will define that season and, and how you handle that. You know, I think there's a lot to be learned from some adversity and a lot to be learned from a loss. Um, and, you know, for us, we came out of that situation. We took the court in practice and then we moved forward with it, just a different level of intensity and belief in ourselves. And almost instead of being what was me about losing that game, I think we were all angry at ourselves mm -hmm. um, from, co from coaches to players alike. We all were angry that 
you know, we felt like we could be a little bit better, more mentally than anything else uh, yeah. to handle that scenario better. And so I don't think, you know, there was any doubt in our mind by the time we took the court when we got to the postseason that we were just going to keep winning. And so, um, but again, I, I think we got to that point because of what we learned from a tough moment. So, yeah, that's great. I'm glad you, I'm glad you picked a loss as that game. as the ones you could have choose from, chosen from. Because uh, I, I think that's where we learn the most. Um, I, I just think it's one thing, and this is something that's probably changed a lot in me as a coach through the years. I think it's very easy to walk off the court after a loss and and be angry or annoyed or ready to, you know, kind of, you know, change everything. I, I think it's a very different <laughs> thing to walk off the court and calm yourself down uh, and say, all right, what are we supposed to learn from this? What, what are we supposed to take away from this experience? If, if everything happens from a root, uh, for a reason, then what are we supposed to take away from this experience? And what are we supposed to learn? And it's hard. It's hard calming yourself down. It, it's hard zeroing in on that. Uh, we talk a lot as a staff that we've got to remind each other. Uh, we're all going to want to maybe be upset at a point in time, um, but we've got to refocus ourselves, recenter ourselves and ask, what are we supposed to learn from this? What are we meant to learn from this? And, and how can we be better moving forward? So it's tough, not easy. Uh, but we, I think we do a very good job at keeping each other in check so we stay in that point. Yeah, I, I'm learning that too. Having supportive people around you who, who know what your goal is right, and how you do want to react to hold you accountable to that. Um, would you have any strategies for coaches, like coaches at the youth level who might not have an assistant Right. Or, and who and who do want to react appropriately to when something doesn't go their way. Like, do you have any mental triggers of your own? You're probably better at it now than you were when you first started. Uh, so, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, but any strategies for for coaches working on their own? Well, in, in the moments when I'm coaching, um, you know, and, and if you're by yourself, I think it's important to have that mental trigger. For me, it has become each year through the years, what am I meant to learn? What am I supposed to take away from this? If I don't have that assistant coach nearby, you know, that, uh, that can kind of bring me back into the moments uh, and keep me in that positive frame of mind, then you know, I grab that, that anchor, if you will, yeah. <clears throat> that yeah, mental that. anchor where, you know, I say to myself, what am I supposed to learn as a coach here? What am I supposed to take away from this experience? Um, and then beyond that, when you're outside of that moment, I think it's important to have someone to talk to about that. Um, whether it's venting or whether it's asking their advice or asking them, um, you know, what, you know, how can I be better? What would you do in that situation? What am I doing wrong? What can I change up? Every coach needs a coach. I love the, the idea that <clears throat> I think you opened up with that thought and that notion. And um, I think that's becoming a bigger thing in this profession is making sure that you always have someone that you can turn to. And <clears throat> I'm fortunate enough that I have some mentors and colleagues that, you know, that I, I got to meet as a young coach and um, that I can still reach out to and they can share thoughts and philosophies and how to do things. And, or you just even tell me, Hey, you're nuts. What are you doing? <laughs> and so, yep. um, uh, or just laugh at me uh, and say, really, that you're, you're getting upset about that. Really? Yeah. Uh, all those things are important. Um, so I, it's for me in the moment, 
you know, if, if I don't have an assistant coach right there present, it's, I have to have a mental anchor that I know I, I can go that. back to. My mental anchor for me is always, what am I meant to learn? What am I supposed to take away from this experience? How can I be better? And it's, you know, sometimes I have to say it in my head over and over again. <laughs> um, until I get to that point, okay, breathe and calm. And, um, right, Ther therapy in and of itself, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. But then even just to be able to drive home after practice tonight and pick up the phone and, you know, talk with uh, other people in the profession or other people that coach other sports. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think it has to be a basketball coach. Uh, you know, I have a, a colleague who coaches hockey um, at the division one level where our worlds couldn't be further apart. Right. Um, but coaching longer than I have and, and really into it. And, um, so I'm able to go to him and, and talk to him and seek his input. Um, there's a, a young woman who actually was an assistant coach of mine at one point in time and now coaches golf, um, at the collegiate level. And mm -hmm. I've been able to kind of go to her and talk with her and, you know, ask her, her thoughts and input. And I think as many different positive voices that you trust, yeah. as many of the have the better for you as a coach yeah that's that's uh tremendous i agree with you i'm, I'm learning more and more uh about that myself so i appreciate i don't know that i've ever come to you yet with uh, <laughs> with any issues or like oh tell, tell me i'm crazy um but it's coming don't worry <laughs> no worries happy to help <laughs> awesome um if you could go back and talk to yourself in your first year of coaching, let's, let's say college coaching. Uh, what would you say? Uh, I would probably tell, uh, tell myself to slow down. Uh, you know, I, I think you, you, you get into a position where you're a head coach, especially at the college level, and you have this master plan. Um, you know, if it looks good on paper, it's probably gonna, it's probably not going to look as great when you start to put it into practice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think it's very easy. And I know for me, I was always in such a hurry and, and impatient sometimes. Um, there's a process to everything. And I think sometimes you've got to embrace that process and you've got to let things play themselves out in time. And, and so when I took over my first uh, head coaching position at, at Bloomfield, you know, we had some talent there. We had some kids that, kids that were pretty darn good. Um, but you know, they were coming out of a, <clears throat> a challenging experience from their previous seasons in terms of their level of success. So there's a rebuilding process there, mm -hmm. not just from a talent level, but from a mental psyche level as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that first year, uh, well, we went four and 23. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and and I, I think a lot of it was because you get so focused on the basketball end of things and why isn't this all we should be great at this. And sometimes you just have to slow down and really look at what that team needs physically and mentally to get to that point. And I don't know that I did the best job right away. Um, I, I think what was good and what helped me is I'll never forget it. A gentleman who coached me in college, he was an assistant coach. His name is Lee Clowers, um, actually coaches volleyball <clears throat> in, in North Jersey now. Um, but he yeah. called me um, towards the end of the, the first year and he said, uh, not so easy, huh? <laughs> and so and that, that spread on the whole conversation. He talked with me and um, gave me a lot of great advice about just kind of slowing down and, and realizing it's going to take time. You're not, not just going to walk in there day one and reinvent the wheel and change everything that has been allowed to exist in that program for several years. It's yeah. going to take you time. Um, so for me, it's been just a, an evolution through the years because um, you're not going to wake up overnight and be more patient, right? <laughs> so nope. it's just kind of 
learning from mistakes and, and just being more patient. But yeah, I, I would love to take, you know, 28 year old Matt Donahue, shake him a little bit and say, yeah. Hey, slow down, be a little more patient, buddy. So that, that's, that'd probably be the number one piece of advice. Yeah. That's, um, that's helpful. I think it's a, a not a trap, but that's the best word I have. A trap a lot of coaches fall into of you want, you want to see changes immediately. And I think part of that, maybe, maybe that's a reflection on, oh, I, I have to show my capabilities. It's uh, probably a great point. I think there's, yeah, you walk in with a proof, and it's a proving ground for you as a coach, right? Yeah. Yep. You're taking over for someone, and whether they were successful or whether they struggled or whatever the case may be, yeah, um, yeah you're, you're, I'm sure, especially as a young coach, you walk in there feeling as though you're going to prove yourself and, um, and you walk in with a certain level of confidence and, mm-hmm. and yet when you're younger, maybe that could, you know, border more on arrogance and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and sometimes you go in there and you have 10 different drills that you want to do because it's going to lead to result B. And maybe sometimes it's better just to have four or five drills that you do really well. Uh, yeah. and, and you do a couple of things really well, uh, while you're kind of working towards that end goal. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, a proving ground and you want to show everyone around you how great you are theoretically. Yep. Um, and I think I'm, I'm sure that enters the thought process at every stage of the, of, of your coaching. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, that's awesome. All right. What are you doing right now to make yourself a better coach? Uh, <laughs> what am I doing? Well, hopefully, uh, we're, it's, it's, it's leading to some improvement. I read a lot. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, and, um, just kind of taking opportunities to study new systems of play to study from other coaches. Um, you know, we've, we've done some workshops here at, at Catholic that I've been, uh, sure. To, I, I've made a point of taking a, a part in with my team. Um, we had Dr. Case. You can find him on YouTube. He does a million free podcasts, um, really talks about the mental side of sports uh, and sports psychology. Um, he talks a lot about, you know, uh, how you can be better as a coach and how you can kind of stay more in tune to things going on in the world of your athletes. Awesome. So just listening to a podcast on the way into work um, and, uh, you know, engaging in a couple of those workshops when he was on our campus, um, took a lot of great insight and information out of that. So that can be great, but doing things off the court with my team as well, when the opportunity, uh, you know, presents itself, we did, you know, we do a big day of service here at Catholic University. And, and so this past weekend, we did the Mother Teresa Day of Service. And mm-hmm. so our whole team went out to the Washington, D.C. community and engaged in a community service project for the day where we were at Theodore Roosevelt Island and helping clean up the island and um, pick up trash and pick up discarded items. And, yep. and I went and did that with my team. I think it's important for them to see me in that setting and see yeah. our coaching staff in that setting doing those things with them. It presents opportunities to laugh, to joke, to talk mm-hmm. with them on, a, on a, another level. And mm-hmm. they're seeing me outside of the basketball gym and outside my office. So I think it's important to find those opportunities in and out of season um, to humanize yourself a little bit and, and kind yeah. of connect with your athletes a little bit more. So the more I can do those things, the better. Um, but uh, again, my, you know, my background as an educator is in English. So I'm always going to grab something to read. Yeah. Um, hopefully, you know, grab onto some philosophy. So that's awesome. Who is the, uh, the sports psychologist, Dr. Jace, uh, Case. Uh, Dr. Case, K A Y S. I hope I just spelled it right. Um, and uh, <laughs> okay, I'm going to put a, I'm going to search for uh, 
for the podcast and the YouTube videos, I'll put it like in the show notes so that uh, part of what I want to do with this is kind of build a, a resource library for other coaches. Cause I, I love, you know, picking brands and, and getting other places you, where exactly. I'll, I'll email you the link as well okay. <laughs> afterwards in case I'm the spelling of his name um, but he's worked with professional athletes collegiate athletes he's worked with golfers and soccer players and basketball players and um, but it, it's just does a good job of uh, talking about the mental side of things and giving tools and resources that you can use as an athlete or even as a coach um, to um, to help your athletes um, so um, that's that's been a great resource because I think it's more it's become so much more mental um, with these kids coming up today I'm sure you see it even more at the high school level um, there's so much around them in their world um, that focusing them in on a given day can be a real challenge um, and probably even more so for you when you're talking 13 14 15 uh, theoretically and hopefully they've learned to manage it a little bit more by the time they're 18 19 20 but you never yeah. know <laughs> so. never know yeah it's, you can't take that for granted right um, yeah the more I'm the more I talk to other coaches it's it's never you're never just coaching no no not at all <laughs> and so um it's yeah you could spend 90 percent of your time and some weeks um just figuring out the the mental side or emotional side of where your kids are so yeah, but I think, I mean, speak to that a little bit. What what advantages have you seen since you've kind of dove in a little more to that aspect? Have you seen a change in your players or how, how your team responds to it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's what we've seen is it creates a different level of excitement. If we're having these conversations with them, um, you know, before practice, behind the scenes, in the offseason, when we're talking with them about balance and you know, taking that day to engage in other aspects of their lives. Um, I think it helps to a realization, it helps them get to a point of realization where they trust that you've got their best interest, that you are supporting them. Um, it, it just creates a different level of calm and excitement uh, about what they're doing uh, and it helps them kind of work through a mistake, uh, mistakes that might take place on the court a little quick and a little easier. Um, you know, it's, that's the, been the biggest benefit to, to me. Um, you know, like in the off season right now, I'm, I'm limited by the NCA with what we can do. And so our girls, I know they're putting in time and working real hard to get ready for the season. Um, but sometimes you can put in too much time and sometimes you can hit that point of burnout earlier. So just us as a coaching staff, taking that time to reach out to them via text or, pass them on campus and have a conversation with them about something else, an internship, um, a retreat that they took part in, um, an assignment that they have going on, uh, encouraging them to do something else non-basketball related from time yeah. to time so that they stay in that kind of balanced, healthy mental place. It, it helps a ton by the time they get to the court. Yeah, that's huge. Kind of, kind of bouncing off of that a little bit, is there like a certain time of year or a certain point in your season where you notice patterns within your team of like, like behavior, or like, I know like right after winter break can always be tough. Um, and like strategies to, to navigate those. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think you, you get, you have a couple different points in the year. I, I think, you know, I always say that, you know, the first major hurdle that we're going to come to in our season is probably going to be 
after that first or second scrimmage that we play during the season, because that's when the roles that people are working for start to define themselves even more. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you get to that point, you've got to be ready to help them understand the importance of the role that they've earned. And then you've got to also help them understand the path forward to grow their role. Um, balance the idea of, of embracing and celebrating that role, but not being content in that role. Uh, you know, it's coming as a coach. Um, it's, it's gonna, you know, everyone's happy. It's that honeymoon period. The first couple of yep. weeks, everyone's excited. Yeah. Play those couple of preseason games and they start to realize, right, this is where I am today. Yep. And, um, maybe this isn't where I want to be. Uh, yep. You don't want them sulking in that moment. You don't want them burying themselves, especially since you probably have a belief that they're a pretty darn talented kid and they have something to give. So mm-hmm. what is it that they can do to make the team better? What is it that they have to give? How can they grow that role and move forward? How can you kind of push them to work towards a greater role? So that's the first kind of, you know, we know it's coming. Uh, and that's the first, you know, hurdle or hill that we see at the beginning that we see comes in the beginning of the year and usually for us in our season late October early November that'll be the yep. first one yeah um the next time next one we always talk about is right before Thanksgiving that's when that fatigue hill steps in because it you know from October 15th to Thanksgiving the, the that last week in November it's a sprint and they get to the point they're starting to get a little run down a little fatigued and you know that's coming so we've got to be aware of um, those opportunities to give them some breaks here and there and mm-hmm. to just break up the monotony of what we're doing, um, you know, to do something different, maybe non-basketball related, to spend a day uh, and make sure we're doing something that kind of bonds us as a team and brings us together that, you know, gets them just to decompress um, and take that weight of the world off their shoulders. Um, mm-hmm. So whether you're doing something, a small side of team bonding activity, or going out bowling with your team or whatever, anything where I always say we, we do goofy well, and I mean that in endearing fashion, uh, our girls like being around each other. So we've got to give them that opportunity to do yeah. something, not basketball to kind of break those moments of tension. So, yeah. um, and then, you know, I, again, I would say then the, the next biggest one that we talk about is when we get to that point in January, we're in, where we know it's all conference the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a different level of focus um, and kind of preparing our team for that mental grind that's going to take place in that month and a half to two month stretch that is January and February. So those are three, and there's more, uh, but those are three big ones we talk a lot about as our season is progressing. Yeah. Um, It makes a lot of sense. And I I agree with you from a player's perspective of, I, I love what you said of those first one or two scrimmages when your role gets defined and you start to kind of you're shaped into that role a little bit and either you're you're great with it and you love it or you're okay with it or you're not okay with it and i think it's really important as a coach to say to say to those kids like hey you've you're here for a reason and and right now this is the reason and this is what the re- and and it can expand into this role cuz i think you can lose kids so quickly right. yeah, no, you're absolutely right yeah you you can and and it's so it's important then to have that conversation, that follow-up with them, to give them a path forward, and then also help them to the realization that everyone's working on that path forward. Yeah. Everyone's working to be better. Yeah. But you got to stay on them to have those conversations, and because you want to keep them engaged 
for the entirety of the season, the better they are in filling their role. The more that they push to grow their role and embrace their role, well, the more, you know, Sally needs to push to, to hold on to her role and grow her role. And, yep. and if you can get everybody engaged mentally and in that positive frame of mind and working towards some, some improvement, uh, the better you're going to be uh, in the long run. It's going to make your whole program better, but that's just not a, a thing that a topic that we have to visit in late October and early November, we've got to continuously revisit mm-hmm. that throughout the year because, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have those young women and you're going to have those athletes that are working on growing their roles. But th- that growth may be incremental um, and it might not be that monstrous growth that they want, uh, but they've got, you've got to help them to recognize that in, uh, incremental growth. And more importantly, you've got to help them to realize the importance of their role. Um, and, we will do some things to have our team talk about the importance of that role. And we'll have yeah. our team talk about, you know, recognizing the importance of everyone's role. Um, and there's different activities and things you can do to remind them of that, you know, mid season, taking that moment um, to visit, you know, what we would call it identity statements. Um, and, you know, might, might be something where you're with your team um, in mid December. And, uh, you know, I put a folder on the middle of the floor um, that has Kelly's name on it. And I turn to the team and I say, I want everybody to tell me one thing that you appreciate about Kel. Uh, and then go write it down. Don't put your name on it. Just write it down and put it in that folder. For I love her. it. Yep. And so I love it. Now Kel has that folder to go read through. And uh, in moments where things are a little tough, let's revisit what your teammates embrace about you, love about you, appreciate about you. And so those are the little things you can do along the way to constantly remind them of their importance. Because everyone is from your bookkeeper to, you know, your best player on the floor. Um, you know, they all are equally important in that journey. That's huge. I love that. Like to express that appreciation and to give them the platform to do it. Like we're taking 10 minutes of practice to do this, take, you know, buy into it and let each other know. Cause like what, what good is appreciating someone if they don't know it? That's huge. I love it. And, and that's the biggest thing because I think a lot of times kids don't believe it mm-hmm. um, or they just, they, they get caught up in the what's happening in the moments and not what everyone else around them is recognizing and saying. And so it can, you know, that, that 10, 15 minutes of time that you take can lead to an hour and a half to an hour and 45 very productive minutes for that kid and, uh, and, and for the rest of your team as well. Uh, uh, it's important to realize why everybody's in it and and realize your importance therein. So, um, that's something you, you revisit throughout the year, but I think it's important to give them that platform to have that conversation. That's huge. That's awesome. I love it. Cool. Um, all right, coach, you mentioned you read a lot. So, um, as we kind of wind down here, what's like your top book or two, that you would recommend any other coach doesn't matter if it's basketball specific if it's coaching college level your your top one or two uh and i i i say book because you told me you read a lot but it can be like a podcast or a movie or a youtube clip or something uh that our coaches should check out yeah i mean and and i'm sure this 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 could be something a lot of people have read already but i'm a big john wooden fan um, one of the first ever books that I've read was This Coach's Life. Uh, it's uh, basically a first-person perspective John Wooden's written uh, that he had written from early childhood up to the end of his career and then beyond. Um, talks about more than just basketball, a lot of life lessons in there. Um, you know, I 
reread it <laughs> mm -hmm. um, almost every year. Um, as I've gone through the book through the years, I've highlighted different things that jump out to me on it. Um, but that's my go-to. <laughs> it's my awesome. go-to. I haven't read that. Um, great. It's, it's a great book. Um, it's got a lot of wooden isms and sayings and sure. some poems and things of that sort uh, that he's written through the years. He was an English teacher as well in his early career. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how he started off as well. Um, so to me, that's my go-to. And um, I'll always reference it, um, even just to skim through things that I've highlighted in it. And so that's become almost my instant go-to through my coaching career just to remind myself of why I'm doing what I'm doing or just kind of read a, a perspective on things um, so so that's that's my number one recommendation for you awesome awesome thank you and then I, I would definitely recommend the the uh, Dr. K's podcast that's the more recent <laughs> thing in the last in the last 60 minutes here <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that coach thank you um, that's great. Uh, last last question for you, Coach, and this is another loaded question. Uh oh, because uh, I, I know you're a you're a quote guy, and you mentioned you were talking before we we jumped on about the whiteboard in your office, right? Your your favorite quote. Um, my favorite quote. Uh, I can do this. That's actually an easy one for me. Um, it is a very short poem by John Wooden. Uh, and it simply says, I'm not as good as I want to be, nor as good as I ought to be, but hopefully better than I used to be. Uh, and that's a key. I basically write that. I, I, I keep a, uh, my, my girls and my, my coaches joke around with me that they call it Donnie's Diary, but it's, it's, a, it's a book I, you know, where I make all sorts of notes in. You can laugh. <laughs> Um, it's 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 a it's a journal essentially and i keep basketball notes in there um you know little thoughts that i have but i always write that uh, first page of i get a new one each year and mm -hmm. on the first page of it i always write that that little poem in there um and it's it's just something that always brings me back to the notion that we're all works in progress we should all be working towards growth um that's easily you know it's my go-to little frame or quote or or poem if you will um but it's easily my favorite I love it. That's great. That's great. And uh, I love the Donahue's Diary reference. <laughs> yeah, they give me a hard time, but uh, oh, yeah, I love it. Uh, but it, it's helpful. It's helpful just to write down some thoughts here and there, whether you're looking at practice or doing something X's and O's or, or just thinking about your team in general and, and different you know, ideas that you have for them and, and things that you'd like to do with them on or off the court. So, Yeah, cool. Awesome. Is there anything else you want our audience to know, Coach? Are you any last words of wisdom? Um, yeah, no, I mean, if you're coaching, I, I just always think it's, it's, you know, level's never the most important thing for me. I think it's, it's important to do you know, what you love do, uh, doing in a place you love doing it. And so if that's high school, awesome. There's a lot of, you know, some of the best coaches I know are high school coaches, um, but they just love working with that age group and they love teaching and, and coaching at that level. And um, it doesn't matter to me whether it's high school or division one, two or three or junior college, just do what you love doing in a place you love doing it. And, and if you create that environment or get yourself to that place, then, you know, everything else takes care of itself from there. So that to me is the biggest thing uh, as a coach um that you know you should really focus on so that's great i love it um thank you so much for taking the time i know this is busy for you it's preseason. uh i learned so much from you i'm so excited to get this out there 
and uh, and show it to other coaches and, and let them tap into your, your wisdom uh, and all your years of experience because I think uh, you dropped a lot of nuggets in there, Coach, so I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you having me. This is a lot of fun. And you know I mean? I'm a long-winded person, so I'll always talk basketball and philosophy and theory. And um, hopefully I didn't use up uh, too much time here. But uh, no, this has been fun, and I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, this is great. That was Coach Matt Donahue of Catholic University Women's Basketball. If you want to get in touch with Coach Donahue, the best way is via email. His address is donahue at C-U-A dot E-D-U. Thank you guys so much for listening to Every Coach Needs a Coach. We'll see you next time.